the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The answer or Salem Media Group. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420, The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Let's start out with a couple quotes to start to think positively. The mind replays, but the heart can't delete. (laughs) The most dangerous phrase in any language is, we've always done it this way. I walk around like everything is fine, but deep down inside my shoe, my sock is sliding off. (laughs) Uh, There's another. And I I had one more, but I'm not going to use it. (laughs) Well, if you can't do anything about it, then let it go. Don't be a prisoner of things you can't change. Uh, That's to all my Republican friends out there. Okay, so, uh, you know, we always talk about our webpage. And if you would, you know, go to uh, WHK1420. Go to local podcast. It's uh, one of the top banners. Go down to Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes. And you can uh, go across. You can get some of the stuff that we have at my webpage. Um, It goes directly to my webpage. So, you know, you just tap on it. You're there. We have our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list. I think those are really good ideas right now because a lot of them are cyclical. We also have our Women and Wealth. It's a planning workbook, which I think is a really good one. Interest rates are starting to rise, folks. I told you it was a great time to use credit. So a Savvy Investor's Credit Workbook, there's still time. Also, if you've been business owners, we've got a transition product uh, that helps you, uh, you know, here's what I got to do type of thing. And Also, we have our uh, small cap list for ideas and our large cap or our multi-cap list for ideas. And I'm going to throw in ADRs this time again. I haven't talked about the ADRs. The ADR is American Depository Receipt. And uh, I'm I'm starting to see some action there. So uh, we'll take it from there. Um, This is a live show. So if you've got any questions, uh, please feel free to give us a call. The number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. So, you know, 2020 was a, a wild ride. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Uh, you know, we, we go down, the SP went down 39, uh, 37%, and, well, the Dow went down 37%. The SP went down 33.9%. And then we finished up plus 14% for the year, which is wild. So, uh, look, I think we have the beginning of a new expansion. Okay, so U.S., Economic expansions uh, have gone like in 09, we had a 42 month expansion. Uh, in 91, we had a 40. In 61, we had a 37. In 58, it was only nine. Okay. Uh, so we're in the first quarter of expansion. And I think, uh, you know, if the average is 21 quarters. Okay. So we got some time left here, folks. And we, I'm also going to talk in the second part of the show about the four year cycle, et cetera. And I think we have a, you know, 
we had a strong rebound so far to this expansion. So if we look at the economy, I think overall we've got we to gotta have a flashing yellow light. Okay, we're, we're not sure we're ready to go yet. Uh, the ISM uh, Manufacturing Purchasers Managed Index showed a red light. Uh, the ISM Prices Paid was a yellow light. The New Orders was a yellow light. Unemployment's a yellow light. Inflation's a green light. Sentiment, the aggregate sentiment, I should say, is is green. The yield curve, starting to steepen, that's green. Small business optimism is green. So I think what you're going to see, uh, you know, if you look at um, everything, uh, things are getting interesting, or things are interesting, shall we say. So, uh, you know, just keep that in mind. You know, I think the yield curve breaking out, you know, the 10-year Treasury broke out, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a second. Um, you know, and uh, so the yield curve steeping a little bit, and, and uh, you know, the sentiment and all that good stuff is really interesting. So I think, um, you know, the, other, the thing that really boggles my mind, and in the face of Joe Biden cutting everything, you know, he's tr- going to try to cut all fossil fuel out, oil crashed and rebound, and now it's kind of stagnant. And Tom Lee at Fundstrat thinks that oil is going to be one of the top three sectors this year, no matter what Joe Biden does, which I think is kind of interesting. Uh, so, you know, there are things going on that, uh, you know, people are, are really not paying uh, attention to. So, look, one of the things that happened uh, this week was the, the 10-year Treasury yield, the TNX is the symbol, Broke its downtrend line dating back to 2018, I guess this. So I think the Democratic Party sweep of the two Senate runoffs in, elect- in Georgia seemed to be the primary cause of the yield spike. Um, and, you know, uh, look, uh, that gives the, the Democrats the ability that Kamala Harris can, you know, uh, uh, break any tie. So, uh, you know, things are, things are going to happen, maybe things we don't like. But what it did do was, uh, you know, gold. Remember, I told you it broke out, and I was really happy about it. This week, it just died. So gold is, you know, there might be a problem. So those who own gold, I'm, I'm looking at it. Uh, I was looking at it long term over the weekend, and and uh, you know maybe we have to take a uh, another look. But rising rates are are not the major enemy of most segments of uh, of the fixed income market. Well, I should say, are the major uh, enemy of most segments. So I think you have to look at, you know, if for those who have fixed income portfolios, you want to look at high yield, short duration, uh, floating rate securities, you know, that type of thing. Uh, interest rate hedge ETFs, uh, they're out there. Uh, target maturity ETFs, you know, that type of thing. Convertible bonds would be really good. Uh, although, you know, we are kind of overbought. So I think you just want to uh, pay pretty particular attention to that. Now, look, uh, one of the things that Tom Lee was talking about was he thinks uh, the Chinese economy is is starting to boom now, okay? And energy stocks will probably start to need to catch up to oil and copper. Uh, I, mean, I mean, to catch up to copper. So it'll be interesting uh, because, the you know, we talked about ESP uh, two months ago, three months ago, if Biden won, and those stocks have just lifted off. And it was funny because my Democratic clients, made a ton of money on those and my Republican clients uh, didn't buy them. <laughs> so they were still under the firm belief that, uh, you know, things were going to happen, which I, I understand. So, um, but I, I, big data is showing booming conditions in, in 2021. I think, uh, you know, I, I think there's, 
I thought whoever was going to get to the presidency was 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 going it, to it's going to rock. All right, so uh, there you go. But look, I also think that um, you know you got to look at Mr. Biden's uh, plan, and he he's he wants all U.S. government procurement to 100% clean energy, zero emission vehicles. He wants to reinstate the Clean Air Act fuel economy standards. He wants to invest $400 billion over the 10 years seeking innovative clean technology. He wants to seek to reduce the carbon footprint of U.S. building stock uh, by 50%, I think, by 2035. He wants to incentivize electric vehicles by building out charging infrastructure. He wants to remove subsidies for fossil fuel companies and encourage ending the practice around the world. He wants to get rid of fossil fuel. Uh, he wants to require public companies to disclose climate risks and greenhouse gas emissions and operations and supply chains. He also wants to get in the Paris Accord. And, uh, you know, the, the Paris Accord, I guess the best way to talk about it is what they try to do is re, re keep, uh, reduce emissions by 2% per year. Now, the problem is the only person really getting fined there is the United States companies. And, you know, it's kind of bugs me that, uh, China, India, and Russia could do anything they want, but uh, you know, because I read this thing, I didn't think it was that great. But eh, there we go. You gotta, you gotta keep it uh, all in, in, you know, context. But look, what you got to know is the market isn't political. Okay, you know, the market runs on emotions sometimes, but it all comes back to numbers. All right, it all comes back to numbers. Earnings drive stocks. Simple as that. People think, oh, it's this going to happen, this going to happen. It doesn't matter. If earnings are there, it'll drive stocks. Every once in a while, we get too crazy, like we did in 2000 to 2014-15, and we get over-leveraged, and we have to have a period of deleveraging. Uh, we did that with CDOs, you know, just getting people into houses is what they said. But the market isn't political. So the market is not defying logic. It's What it's looking at is the amount of liquidity in the market, uh, the Fed added $4 billion in, in March. Then they added another $2.9 billion. Now they're, they just added another $900 billion. Now they're going to add one, another $1.9 billion. And the Fed's talking about, hey, we're not that. We're not going to, you know, tighten, or, I mean, tighten interest rates or increase interest rates anytime. or tighten for that matter. So the market has rallied substantially since the March 2020 low, but it isn't much higher than the pre-COVID peak. You got to remember that part too. So, Look, we're on very constructive footing for the next year, and I think uh, it could get really very interesting, uh, very, very interesting coming up here. So uh, here's a couple other things. Let's see. Uh, when you look at uh, the, the central bank, okay, and this is something I think you really got to pay attention to, but the central bank has their balance sheet. Central bank balance sheets are 30 times what they were. I mean, the assets in the trillions, it's its amazing. It's like $26 trillion. There's going to be a lot of money out there floating, okay? Uh, now, I, I don't know if that's going to be, uh, you know, something that, um, you know, causes inflation. It could, but I am seeing some things that I've seen some breakouts from stocks that, you know, some stocks I really like and other stocks, I'm just, uh, just surprised that they continue to go up and up and up and up. Um, but, you know, that, that's the way it is. But the other, the other thing I think uh, is, it might be uh, important to a lot of people is 
that you're you're probably going to see the foreign markets do better because of the dollar. Now, if you if you read uh, Jeffrey Gunlack, uh, he he had some interesting things to say this month. Uh, You know, Jeff he runs for Double Line. Uh, He's the head strategist there, and he said. Uh, this and I, th- I think this sums it up. It says investors should prepare for themes that reverse prior trends. He thinks U.S. equities will underperform the rest of the world. Inflation will rise, volatility will be higher, and the dollar will weaken. Now I agree with the dollar being weakened, but volatility's been high for a pretty long time, so it'll be interesting to see if that continues. But uh, you know, we don't know. Okay, uh, really, it'll, it'll be a, uh, an interesting time, I think, uh, coming up here. So. We'll just leave it at that. Now, look, uh, China produces about 21.4 million vehicles annually. Uh, Japan produces about 8.3. And over the, that's over the last 20 years anyway. Germany has been able to maintain its position as the third highest car producing country with around 4.7. Uh, despite accounting for a lower share of total used vehicles exports than the EU and Japan, the U.S. still shipped 2.6 million overseas between 2015 and 2018. So we're still, you know, even though we have a 25% tariff, we're still shipping stuff there, which I think is a credit to our, our manufacturers. Um, it's also, I'm, I'm starting to see even domestic manufacturer cars starting to look pretty good, all right? Now, the United States is the, uh, the second biggest consumer of water, with California accounting for 9% of the nation's daily consumption. It's, it's all about agriculture, all right? So... Uh, Water is another theme that I think uh, people will will start to pay pretty close attention to. So, anyway, um, you know, somebody asked me. Uh, well, let's let's talk about a couple things. Um, I, I looked at the, a, a couple of charts this weekend and uh, uh, this this morning, I should say. And uh, what, what did I see? I saw the energy sector and the financial sector and the materials sector and the industrial sector and the consumer discretionary sector as the top five sectors. Uh, That's what we talked about three weeks ago. Okay. On this show, we talked about it. We talked about that both our strategists and fund strats and a couple others like industrial sector, consumer discretionary, and that they were, you know, two and three or three and four, I should say, uh, they were you know, topsy-turvy on between energy and the financial sector. Uh, materials are a surprise, but not too big a surprise because that's kind of in the industrial sector. So, but, you know, the FANG stocks are going sideways. Remember, we talked about that this summer, how they were peaked, they kind of peaked out. So, you know, it's it's something to uh, uh, think about. Now, uh, I am starting to see some names that I haven't seen in a long, long time uh, start to break out which is very, very interesting. Uh, and I'm seeing some stocks that have really outperformed starting to break down. Uh, so that might be that shift, um, you know, towards that value group. And look, industrial group strength, which is, you know, very important, uh, will be revealed, I think, with a number of semiconductor st- stocks up here or healthcare stocks up here to begin to advance. Healthcare is still underperforming the general market. And it's still as cheap as I've ever seen it. So it'll be interesting to see just how we uh, we get through this uh, next couple of months. Now, I I, I want to say this again. Uh, you know, back in, in December, I discussed, I, I thought there was a couple buy signals on gold. And as of Friday, I think gold 
broke down. It, you know, it, it broke out and then broke down last week, and I thought it was going to hold, but it broke below its its uh, 200-day moving average. So I think you've got to be a little bit cautious with gold uh, and gold stocks. Let's take a break. This is the Smart Investor Show. Remember, it's a live show, 216-901-0945. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, if you just tuned in, uh, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And, you know, uh, I, was, I was looking at things. First of all, you know, uh, sometimes people uh, get fixed in their ways. And I just think we have what I'll call a climate for opportunity right now. Okay? Uh, this climate stuff is going to be big during the Biden administration, whether we like it or not. <clears throat> and I've been talking about this for a month, two, almost two months now. So I, I think if we do have a correction, which I'll talk about in the next part of our show, you want to pay attention. In the meantime, we have Rick on the line. Rick, how are you? Hey, Tim. Uh, thanks. Um, you know, I I, I noticed um, hydrogen fuel cell stocks have really um, risen um, in in the past year. And in fact, uh, I I bought Ballard uh, about ten years ago when it was one point five, and forgot about it. Um, until I looked at uh, my statement the other day. And I just wondered, <laughs> <clears throat> do you think this is a flash in the pan? Um, it uh, has pulled back some. Yeah, uh, uh, they pulled back Friday. Uh, they And also Plug Power pulled back Friday. Uh, I, own, I own some Ballard Power uh, at a lower price. I'm not recommending it. Uh, it it's up a lot, so I just I, I have some yeah. for my clients. Uh, you know, Joe Biden uh, loves hydrogen because why? What's the byproduct? I, water. Okay, so you know that's the byproduct of the hydrogen thing is water. You know, you get H two O out of it, so it's a perfect clear, clean air, you know, scenario. And I think Ballard and Flood Power are pretty long line where they've got this stuff where they can work on a commercial basis. I don't know if it's going to be running cars anytime soon, but uh, I, I've heard Ballard and Plug are talking to car manufacturers. So it's part of that, you know, it's part of the green thing. So uh, I certainly wouldn't, you know, I, I, I think it, I think all these things have run pretty hard, so I, I certainly wouldn't sell it, but I, unless I was a trader. Uh, if I was a trader, you might sell it, try to buy it lower, but I think it's a good one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Okay. You know, that's part of that green thing that I've been talking about since, you know, the, uh, uh, since we talked about it, uh, when Biden started uh, getting more votes. So, uh, anyway, we do have Jason too. Jason, how are you? Hey, hey, Tim, I got a question for you. If you had some, uh, if you had some cash that you wanted to, to put to work right now, would you be looking at, um, uh, value or growth or, or, or blended, and what would you focus on more of it um, in, in large, mid, or small? I know the small has had a, a run lately. I don't know how, uh, how much more you think it'll, it'll do over the next year. Um, just, just wondering your opinion on, on those three areas and, and the you know, value growth balance type. Well, I, I think you need a barbell, Jason, and uh, look, we're extended now in the market. 
the bullish percent's up at 77%. Now, you don't want to anticipate an anticipator, but it's up there, okay? So you want to be thoughtful in your picks. Small caps took the number one spot in dynamic asset level investing this week. Uh, mid and small cap growth were second, and then small cap value was third. So, you know, that helps you. But the point is, we are at 77% on the bullish percent. Small caps are fairly extended. You know, a pullback would be great for the, to, for a buying opportunity. Uh, and I think you just need this barbell approach where the middle of your barbell, you know, the, the bar itself is your, you know, high-quality consumer staples, you know, those type of things, uh, really high-quality names. And then on one end, you need some technology. On the other end, you need those three sectors I talked about, industrial, well, actually four, industrials, uh, the consumer discretionary, the financials, and the energy. Okay, thank you. All right, Jason, have a great day. Okay, so um, uh, Rob Schleimer at Fundstrat, you know, Rob used to be our head uh, technician at RBC, uh, had a uh, really good uh, piece this week. Uh, He he talked to us uh, about, you know, what he thinks is going to happen in uh, 2021. And, you know, uh, first of all, you know, he, somebody asked him why he uses technical analysis, and I thought he, his answer was great, so I'm just going to talk about this. Look, uh, you identify ch- changes okay, between and within markets, sectors, group, and stocks. Divergences is what you're looking for, okay? So, you know, suddenly the market's hitting new highs and, and there's all sorts of new lows. You know you're in trouble, Okay. Uh, it provides some perspective you, you don't often c- capture by text or, or data and tables and certainly not headlines. And it manages risk by identifying key levels like, you know, hey, gold. Uh, I'm, I was worried about gold because I looked at the weekly chart this week and I said, oh, it broke its 200-week moving average, okay? It allows you to protect capital. So it, what it does basically is you apply common sense technical tools to answer the question investors and traders face, all right? Our markets and sectors at a turning point, you know, what leadership shifts shifts are developing, uh, you know, momentum, relative performance, all that good stuff. So, all right, let's look at the big picture. Uh, And what he talked about was there's a 1734-year cycle, and this probably will remain very bullish into 2030. Now, Bob Dickey thinks 2030 will be the end. Rob Schleimer thinks it'll be 2034. We'll see. Uh, we're in the. We just started a four-year cycle this year, so he thinks that uh, this will be good through 2022-23. Uh, remember, he he said uh, the cycle was ending in 2018. Uh, it did. You know, we had a a bear, and uh, we've had a couple of bear markets. And you know, you're going to have bear markets within secular bull markets. But look, the the momentum indicators uh, will likely peak. You know, shortly. I don't know when, but. Uh, the bullish sentiment is not extreme yet, but it's moving towards elevated levels. I think energy and financials recoveries often mark the, lar- the late stages of a tactical rally. Okay, so I think rates are going to run into some resistance at the uh, you know 140. If it were to break 140, I, I'd be surprised on uh, the 10-year Treasury. So, um, you know, I expect a, sh- uh, a pullback. I don't know how you know big or whatever it is, but you know, I've been talking about 10 percent. You know, I buy the pullback. Uh, but, you know, I, I have a lot of names, uh, you know, technical. I, and, and Bob, Rob Schleimer and, and Bob Dickey have the, some of these same names, uh, you know, on the leadership side uh, in the technical 
uh, technology, industrial, material, and energy, and financials, and discretionary area. Uh, but that's uh, that's for me to know and for you guys to find out. Uh, so, you know, we, if you look at the big cycle, um, you know, we back in the 30s, uh, you know, which was, well, I should say the, the, the 50s, was the reflation trade out of the deflation area uh, scenario in the in the 30s. And then we had inflation in the 70s when Arthur Burns turned on the tap and didn't turn off. And then we had disinflation uh, in the 80s and 90s. Then we had deflation again. And now are we re- reflating? And that's the big question, I think, out there. So, um, but, you know, we have these 17, 34-year cycles, and, and the bond yields tend to do the same thing. So it'll be interesting to see, but bond yields tend to hit uh, at, at a period of time when, you know, things are, are not going. So, um, you know, the other thing I would mention is, um, you know, where where are we now in the current cycle? Well, it started, you know, back in, uh, um, you know, 2017, if you look at Bob's where uh, Rob Schleimer's work, if you look at Bob's work, it started in 2014. So it depends on who you're looking at. Uh, um, you know, both are pretty smart guys. So I think it'll be somewhere in between there. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, you know, they're smarter than I am. But look, one of the things that I noticed this week is that the S&P 500 broke out to a new high versus the bond index. And that's what you want to see. So uh, now long term, I am seeing this monthly quadrant balance index that uh, it's a momentum index that Rob Schleimer uses. Is it is above the red line at 80. So, you know, we'll probably have a period of time where uh, we have some volatility coming up here. But volatility has been above 23 now for the better part of a year, almost two. And there's only been a couple other times, and they're usually they're doing financial crises, you know, like uh, 2008, 2009 of last year where volatility stayed up there. But then it broke, and it stayed below 10. It stayed below 15 for a pretty long time. Uh, you know, two or three years, three or four years, actually. So, uh, you know, I, I, I suggest that we probably have some kind of pullback. I think that's, uh, you know, the w- weekly quadrant balance indicator is up there. It's not overbought yet, but we get that. Who, who knows? Uh, I do like the way the, the advanced decline line is holding in there. Okay. Um, look, one of the things I noticed, and, and you know, uh, there was no new, uh, no new lows the other day. Now, Dorsey Wright I, uh, had a nice piece on that, and he said, when you have several days with no new lows, within one year, the average return is 22%. Within two years, is 37%. So, you know, we had two days in a row where there's no new lows. I thought that was interesting. So uh, I think Jason asked me about the Russell, went straight up. I think it's got to, you know, got to correct a little bit, maybe pull back, very overbought. Um you know, so you just, uh, I, I love its relative performance versus the S&P 500, and I think that will continue after it pulls back a little bit. The one thing I'm, I'm not so intrigued with is this, the Chicago Board Options Exchange put-to-call ratio. Uh, low put-to-call ratios remain a, a trading headwind as far as I'm concerned because everybody's too bullish. I would also say the amount of, uh, yeah, you know, options traded, is, uh, especially on the call side, is historical. Uh, I think people are just sitting at home, sitting at home, not doing. But the one thing is the bullish sentiment uh, and the the Chicago Economic Surprise Index are way above where they were just a, a while back. So, uh, you know, th- that was the perfect time back in the spring to be buying. So, uh, I think large cap growth is still better than value. 
small cap growth is still better than value. Uh, but on a daily chart, they're going sideways. They're not going up anymore. So it'll be interesting to see which ones takes the lead coming up here. Um, okay, we're going to take a break. Um, and we'll be right back. This is the Smart Investor Show. Once again, 216-901-0945 to get into the studio. We'll be back. Payradio.com. Hello, Frankie Sinatra. <laughs> uh, I like uh, Cleveland, Cleveland better, but uh, I don't think he has a song for Cleveland. Um, and by the way, don't forget the Browns are on tomorrow. I think that could be one of the big games for them in a long, long time. A long, long time. So, uh, Okay, so this is what we talk about, the bullish... Uh, bullish percent on the show and uh but first we're going to take a quick break and ask uh, al what he has to say al how are you okay how are you uh no complaints what can i do for you i was wondering your thoughts on the great reset uh <laughs> like you know um uh, i i think i've talked about that for a really long time al you know uh, you're talking about the political reset, are you not? Well, supposedly it's a whole world reset, you know, financially, socially, politically, everything, right? Yeah, and like I said, uh, the Great Reset is a is a political being, the way I look at it. And look, in the stock market, emotions, you know, occur, okay? It's an emotional being. But what it comes down to is numbers. So if the numbers are good, stock market's going up. If, the, if there's a lot of money out there with no place to go, the stock market's going up. And those are the two things that I see right now. Okay. All right? Yeah, okay. Okay, sir. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, see you. So anyway, uh, we, we always talk about the bullish percent on this show, and the bullish percent is merely a uh, – a risk indicator, and uh, it was designed by some smart people uh, back in the 30s, and what they wanted to do is be bearish at the bottom, I mean at the top, and bullish at the bottom. So they designed a point-and-figure chart going from 0 to 100. When he got over 70, that was the red zone. That's when everything was hot, you know, THTH, too hot to handle. And that's where we are right now. But we're in a column of X's, so we still have the ball. Remember, never anticipate an anticipator. I talked about that many a times on the show. We're at 77. We're up 6.9% for the week. But then when you get below 30, that's the best time to buy. That's when everybody's scared to death. They don't open their 401k statements, the whole kit and caboodle. That's the best time to buy. Okay? Now, in, in the bullish percent, in a column of X's, we have the offensive team on the field, but we've got to determine our field position. And our field position is not so great right now. So you don't want to throw the bomb. All right? You want to hand off to the fullback right here, okay? When when you get uh, in a column of O's, that's when you want to be looking over your portfolio and saying, okay, do I really want this stock, all right? Uh, do I really want to be, you know, a 60-40 uh, type scenario? Because if you've been in bonds, you know, if you had 30% of your portfolio in bonds, you're down about 6 7% in the last month. So, you know, bonds are not always what they're, you know, back in the 70s and, and in the early 80s, bonds got killed, okay? 
Yields went up and up and up and up and up, and that makes the bond price go down, 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 down. So your principal's at risk. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be uh, happening here, but there's a lot of money floating around, right? So um, anyway, so uh, by the way, we, we mentioned last week that the world index went positive, but so everything's over 60 now, uh, the bullish percent, the over-the-counter index, et cetera. So you know, you, you got to be careful how you buy things. And I'm, I, we have somebody on the line. I, I didn't get the name, so my apologies. Jared, Jared, how are you? Good afternoon. See, uh, I know you can't make stock recommendations, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this company called Okta. And I was looking at it the other day, and you know it's been in business for a while, and it's yet to turn a profit. Yet its stock's gone crazy over the last five years. Uh, I just don't understand its valuation. I wanted to see what you thought. I, I didn't hear the name of the, the company. Uh, Okta, O-K-T-A. Uh, oh, uh, well, that's in the uh, security software area. Um, we, we've recommended for, you know, that was, remember I told everybody to buy the, uh, to, to call in to get the software stuff back two years ago? That was one of their top buys. That, CrowdStrike, Coupa, they've hit home run after home run. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's the type of stock that, uh, you know, you got to understand what you're buying. You're buying momentum. And the problem with momentum is when the horse starts to stumble, you, you better dive off the horse. Okay? Simple as mm-hmm. that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, I know we like this, the company, so, uh, uh, but we, there's been so many home runs in that area, you know, and I, I pleaded with people to call in to get that information. Back in uh, 2018, it, it was that was one of the best reports we ever put out. <laughs> I, I, I uh, guess I just don't understand how uh, you know stocks like Okta and uh, some uh, some other tech stocks uh, they've been in business for a long time and yet no profits yet their their stocks still go crazy. I, I don't I don't get it. Revenue growth, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Okay, so revenue growth is more important than earnings uh, in a new company. And by the way, okay. the, some some of those companies have fewer shares outstanding, so it's easier to move them than, let's say, a Cisco mm-hmm. or an Intel, okay, who have right. you know tons of uh, shares outstanding. So that's how. But it's revenue growth. So there you go. Okay, got it. Thanks, well, I appreciate your perspective. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, have a great day. So basically, we have three groups. Uh, all three groups within uh, the bullish, you know, uh, that are, the bullish percent positive. We have New York Stock Exchange Index, the over-the-counter, and the world index. So that's a big positive. We are over 90%, however, on the, the high-low index. So, you know, we're up there for a time being. So you want to be smart about how you buy things. Now, I looked at dynamic asset level investing. Uh, this changed uh, a week ago. Domestic equities are still number one. Hot on their heels are international equities, commodities number three, fixed income number four, cash and currencies. So uh, the one thing I will say is consumer cyclical, the discretionary historical rating of uh, dynamic asset level investing is pretty high, which is good. Uh, and it probably stays there. But most of the markets, with the exception of, um, you know, uh, the small cap and mid cap indexes, have the momentum's been negative for several weeks now, uh, you know, three to four weeks. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, but you get the small cap index like the IJR, which is the 
Standard Poor's small cap index, uh, 600, uh, is hitting new highs, and it's it's been a vertical. So it's yeah, I think they're you know they're probably in great shape, but you know you're going to want to wait. And look, small caps haven't done anything since 2014, so you got to remember that too. Uh, but it's small cap index, the mid cap index, and the emerging markets index is number three this year. So uh, now I did notice that the XLG which is the big large cap stocks, did break a double top this week, so it'll be interesting. And the EEM, which I've been talking about for about two years, well, a year and a half, I guess, uh, had hit a new high. And uh, since I recommend it, it's up about 30%. So um, now I, I looked at some of the, uh, you know, I mentioned ADRs today. And, you know, our friends at Dorsey Wright who provide us with this information and, and are the keepers of the bullish percent, they they put up a, uh, a chart this week, EFA, which is the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index. That's the larger, more uh, developed companies out there. And it, it's very close to a, a double top break. Uh, I think it would do it at 76 or 77. So that's kind of interesting. Um, and also, uh, you know, we looked at the FM, which is the Frontier Index, uh, which broke its downtrend line dating back, you know, I think it was 2017 uh, was the last time it, and by the way, in 2017, it broke a downtrend going back to 2007. So uh, that was kind of interesting. We do have 34 sectors that are bullish. <laughs> That's a lot, folks. And uh, it's the first time I've seen uh, nothing under 50. So the, I'm going to talk about just the favored sectors now. And these are the most overbought. These are 90 to 100. Machinery, banks, semiconductors, and savings and loans. Might want to wait on those. And then uh, 80. Four to 86 are restaurants, building, gaming, electronic products, uh, insurance, automobiles, steel, and chemicals. Uh, then it's at uh, 74 to 80, business products, protection services, uh, media, housing, financials, textiles, and leisure. Uh, at 70, you'll, you, you still sh- should be waiting for all these, waste management, Wall Street, and uh, non-ferrous metals. Then it. Um, at 64 uh, is transports, computers, food, and healthcare. Uh, then, you know, we have retailing at 62, aerospace, uh, oil services, internet, software, and oil. They're all at 62. And then uh, we at 50, we have drugs and biotech. <laughs> so we have nothing under 50 for the first time. Remember last spring, it was all the way to the left. And that was a great time to buy. So we, we didn't have that opportunity. Um, anyway, so uh, I did see precious metals move to average. So the precious metal stocks are doing better than precious the precious metals, actually. And forest and paper products did the same thing. As far as the favored sectors, we had uh, Internet, food, and healthcare all go from average to favored. And then we went to strong favored were software, banking, and semiconductors. So that's a big positive. Um you know, I, I was looking at uh, how I'd allocate. Somebody asked me the other day, and I said, "How would you allocate, you know, your foreign stocks?" And I, Taiwan leading the way, then China, then South Africa, uh, then Hong Kong, then Brazil, then Indonesia. So that, that'd be kind of, you know, I don't know if you could do that, but that's those, those are the groups that are doing the best. I did notice that Dorsey Wright has a portfolio where you know they have twenty eight percent. In industrials, 19% in um, technology, healthcare is next, 15, and then materials, 8, and then consumer discretionary, 7. 
so that's how they're they're putting their international portfolio, which is interesting. So, you know, uh, like I said, fixed income, you know, the 10-year Treasury broke out, and then I saw the Barclays uh, TLT, uh, which is their 20-year Treasury bond fund, break down. So it broke a double bottom. Uh, it's still above its uptrend line, which would uh, be about 144, 142. So, you know, anybody that's been bonds has probably lost some money in the last couple of months and uh, probably will stay that way. Now, I did notice, you know, uh, crude oil went positive. Uh, it's been positive for a while. Uh, and copper has been negative and gold has been po- has been positive momentum, but it just can't, it can't get out of its own way. So, uh, Got to be careful there. Now, one thing that happened, because we're having a kind of a warm winter here in Ohio, is natural gas uh, broke out. So there we go. Relative strength. We always look at relative strength and how your stocks do into the S&P 500. Uh, Coherent gave gave a buy. Devon Energy, Mcor, Gillette, uh, Galat Satellite, uh, Avio Pharmaceuticals, Bank of California, PacWest, Itron, KeyCorp, local company, Quanex, Office Depot, uh, Aviant, Itris. LPL Holdings and uh, Rogers Corp and Reading International. So, uh, oh, Charles Schwab too, uh, and Zion Bank Corp. So we had a lot of banks in there. All right, uh, we'll be right back with insiders and uh, talk about what we think of the markets at the end there. This is, uh, we'll take a break. This is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. Uh, if you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes, and uh, we, we talk about insiders now. So what we've done is we started out with the economics. We moved our way down to technical analysis. Uh, we've added some relative strength buys. So what we're trying to do is match our fundamental analysis with our technical analysis. And why I'm not talking to you about our funda- fundamental analysis? Because that's what my clients get, the combination of the two. <laughs> not a client i can't help help you so uh anyway the, the point is is that uh rbc has really good fundamental analysis too so when we combine these two together usually it's uh it, it could be you know it could be big for you um okay so uh we talk about insiders and what we talk about uh you know remember insiders know their companies better than we do okay that's number one. Number two, we're looking for large buys, not 2,000 shares, a $10 stock, okay? What we're looking for is 75, 80, 100,000, 200,000 shares of a stock, okay? That's what we're looking for. Also, just remember they're early. Batteries are always early, so these are ones you put on your, you know, watch list, okay? Uh, by the way, I can't remember, was it Jason who talked about Ballard Power or Al? Uh, Ballard Power was on the buy list, Uh I think it was back in February. There were two, three bucks, and there was insider buys, uh, lots of them. So, uh, and by the way, you know, we talked about Intel just what last week or the week before. You know, Intel's up it was forty five. It's fifty five, fifty six now. Okay, and and it's all because Third Point bought into it. That's Dan Loeb. I talked to. I said in, at length that he was a very smart man. He did the same thing with Disney. You would have bought Disney then it was one fifteen. It's now one seventy. Okay, great call. Anyway, uh, first of all, to Larry and Jerry, uh, they both called me on this Friday. So uh, I did, I want to mention those, uh, Nixa Biosciences, uh, the CFO bought 100,000 shares, CEO bought a million shares, 
and right around here too, by by the way. So I thought that was uh, interesting. I also noticed uh, GE. There was two large pensions that bought GE this week. Am I, you know, uh, that's an interesting scenario because GE's been down and out. Uh, I, I have no comment, but I won't say what I think about uh, former management there. But uh, they were under undermanaged, let's say, for a while. Uh, and now I think they got a brilliant guy working the working the the uh, the levers there, shall we say? So anyway, uh, Annexa Biosciences. Uh, then we had uh, this is really interesting because this is a new high, and these people aren't stupid. Uh, there's a group called Bait Therapeutics, which has a lot of good news. I was going to buy it when it was in the 50s, and the next day I, I came in to buy it, and the next day it was up like 30 bucks. And I kicked myself in the rear end for a short short period of time. But they bought 327,000 shares. This is the Red Mile Group. That's smart money at a new high. And they already own 12,957,000 shares. That's something to pay attention to. And then we had uh, Syracore Biosciences, which, uh, you know, is pretty close to its low. And we had Armitage Capital, uh, which is smart money, too. By 2.5 million shares, they own 32.6, so they're adding to it. And then uh, uh, Brian Bryant Riley, as chairman and co, uh, uh, CEO, co-CEO, I should say, of the Riley Financial Group, at a new high, buying 100,000 shares, about six million bucks. So uh, that's it. Uh, it's no, I'm sorry, it's about 46, uh, 4.6 million dollars. Here's another biotech. So the biotechs. Now this is Marsana, which got creamed. It was. Um, like a $28 stock went all the way down to 18 in like a day. Um, and Andrew Hack was a director. I looked him up. He's a pretty smart guy. He bought a hundred thousand shares, which is about 18,000. Uh, so it's up a little bit from where he bought it is what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, then he bought another 75,000 shares to about 1.4 million and then bought another 75,000 shares. So uh, Mr. Hack seems to like uh, Mersana. Um, and here's another one that I've been tracking and I, I, I couldn't find out why I should buy this. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's information because we don't follow it. Uh, but Durham Tech uh, was a $10 stock and, and now is a $39 stock. And uh, a director, uh, Matthew Possard, uh, bought a million dollars worth, which I thought was interesting. And then uh, also Generational Bio, which is a, a fairly new issue, um, but down and out. And, they, they had Charles Rowland, a director, buy half a million dollars. Uh, you may recall a couple weeks ago they, they were buyers too. Then we, you know, um, I, I forgot to mention this, and I apologize. Tom Kelleher, who's co-CEO of, of B. Riley, also bought half a million dollars worth. And then Randall Paulson, who's a very smart guy, bought another four, $460,000 worth of stock of Riley. So we had numerous uh, buyers. And then um, Steel Partners Holden. Uh, which is at a new high, by the way. We had uh, Gordon Walker, who's a vice president, buy three times. He bought $420,000 worth. Then he bought $280,000 worth. Then he bought $214,000 worth. So a uh, fairly aggressive buyer is what I'm trying to suggest. Uh, remember, there were they were more buyers of this last week, uh, so something to pay attention to. And then um, a, a name that uh, Landic, Landec, corporations, which is in the packaged foods area. Uh, Nelson Obis, who's a director, bought uh, about $146,000 worth. Uh, they have bought over the last six, seven weeks. They've, there's been 100000 each month. So uh, 
you know, something to pay particular attention to in Tim Hayes' personal opinion, okay? So here we are. We're 77% on the bullish percent. And I had people say, hey, where's the correction? Remember, the correction doesn't occur until we go into a column of O's. So we're not in a column of O's. Uh, therefore, there's no correction yet. All right. Now, can, can, and, and I said uh, a couple weeks ago or last week, I can't remember which one it was, uh, they all tend to blend in together, <laughs> uh, that sometimes you can stay over 70 for six months. All right. And, and the market continues to go over. And I, look, I think, uh, you know, we had a breakout from a long bottom on the bonds, bond yields now, uh, above 1%. There's some more, you know, uh, resistance at the, the 145 area. Uh, and, you know, may go there. Could very, very probability goes there. Because, look, when you have one party in, in uh, all the houses, and, uh, the, you know, even if the Senate, uh, you know, even if they lose, they still have the, the vice president's vote, which, you know, they're going to go, obviously, with their party. So I think they're going to get a lot of done. I'm not saying it's stuff that we like, <laughs> but they'll probably get a lot done. So, you know, it's something that you got to uh, think about. That's why the, ra- the, the rates are rallying is because, hey, they're going to get a lot of stuff done, but they're going to spend a lot of money. And boy, wait till you see the tax plans that they have set up. Uh, I mean, I, I reviewed that several months ago, and uh, I, you know, they're talking regular income for capital gains, regular income for dividends. Uh, that'll just kill the stock market. Um, but, but I do think the market is kind of up on stilts. Okay, uh, it surged to the upside last week, and uh, and it could be an exclamation point who knows it could be a short-term peak i don't know uh you know it's it's hard to determine exactly when the best time to get out is or you know whatever i don't even think you want to get out i think there's going to be a hard fast correction just you know people got to get scared again all right uh but i did i did start to see the s&p 500 value stocks starting to make a turn okay and you know I said this back in 2019. They started to make a turn, and then they died due to the COVID. Starting to make a turn again, so I, I'm not saying that it turns for good. But, um, look, I think you want to go look at low price-to-earnings ratio. The problem with the basic materials and the industrials and things like that is they tend to have high P.E. ratios when they're the cheapest, believe it or not, or when they're in the best positions. And then when the P.E. ratios are low, you want to hit the road. So uh, I see that in several stocks. Uh, um, you know, there's high yield in consumer staples, healthcare sectors, and value stocks in general. So that's a, those are areas that I think, you're, you know, health, healthcare has been really, really cheap for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, um, everybody says it's different every time, right? Uh I remember that's when I started selling stocks and I heard it was different uh, in 2000. Sold a lot. I even, I even had a seminar and people looked at me like, what are you talking about? Uh, so anyway, I, I, I do think, uh, you know, value is starting to at least make a turn, whether it's going to be leadership is, is uh, a different scenario. Okay. Um, I do think, you know, when you have easy money like this, uh, people are looking for values. They're not interested. I mean, look, Apple hasn't hit a new high since the summer. Uh, Google hasn't. Uh, I don't believe. I I think 
I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Alphabet uh, just barely hit a new high. It was Amazon has a new high. So we've had some of these things, uh, you know, Tesla's, <laughs> I don't know, that's a, that's a rocket, should be a car company, should be a rocket ship company. Uh, now, the one thing I did see is that, you know, like oil collapsed in the spring. I mean, it went to negative, a negative price. And it so it's moved up to pre-COVID levels. And uh, I think if it would broke 56, that would be very positive. Uh, that, you know, it would break the downtrend line, okay? And that's when oil would really kick into gear. So uh, something to think about. Uh, like I said, Tom Lee is really hyped on the oil stock. So keep that in mind. Keep that in the back of your head. Uh, I think, you know, if we do have a corrective phase coming up here, which I think probably will start in February if it does, uh, then, you know, you want to shift through that stuff, and that's going to be a good time to buy, very, very good time to buy. In the meantime, okay, here's some stuff that you can get from RBC. Uh, the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, small cap ideas. I think small cap could be leadership over the next couple of years. Uh, our multi cap portfolio. So it's large capitalization stocks, mid capitalization stocks, and small capitalization stocks. Uh, that, so we have uh, all those portfolios available to you. We also have uh, Women in Wealth, a planning workbook, uh, the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook, um, and our Business Owner's Guide to uh, a, you know, a Transition, which is very important. So uh, the Family Inventory Workbook, and don't forget our wealth plan. And I tell you, I'm excited that every time I use this wealth plan, it, it's it's digital, so it's it's something you can work with. You know, when when my clients make a change, I know about it, so we can talk about it. In the meantime, have a great weekend. It's uh, Monday. We're off, so remember that. And uh, this is Tim Hayes from the Smart Investor Show. Remember, buy low and sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.